Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 106, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. One school district loses over 200 teachers because of a licensing snafu, and we have an updated list for the best and worst cities to live in on a teacher's salary. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, how to set up a more inclusive classroom for your students next year. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I am great. And are you withstanding this ridiculous... I'm not going to say heat, because I don't want people to, to get this wrong. Like Our heat hasn't been that bad so far this summer. It's been like low 90s, but the humidity has been record. Heavy. Like yeah. it's, it's like can't breathe. Like I walk yeah. into my garage at like 10 o'clock at night, and it's like I'm walking into a steam room. Like it's... Mm-hmm. It's, it's I whack. let my dogs out at 6.30 every morning. Sometimes it's even like 5.30. And I'm like always amazed. It feels like it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but it's like 5.30 in the morning. How are your, for those that don't listen, you do a lot of um, art summer camps. How are those going? Like, are you like packed? Are you busy with full of people or what? Yeah, yeah. They've been going great. I, I work through the summer um, every year, which I know a lot of teachers pick up summer jobs and do different things through the, through the summer to make ends meet. But yeah, we, we have a full group of little art campers coming different, you know, we rotate them out throughout the day, different camps at different times. And it's been fun. You've been doing this for a long time, like yes, 15 going years, on 14, 15 years. Yeah. yeah. So you, you've had several, I don't want to say generations, but you've had students that you like taught art to specifically from when they were probably like kindergarten or maybe even younger. Right. All the way till, I guess some of them have gone on to work for you, right? Yes, yeah. So One, one just redid my logo for me. She's re- a graphic artist in New Orleans. That's awesome. <laughs> like, that's the, that's what I was about to ask. Like, ha- have you ever been, like, what was that person like and who was that? That's Parker Brewer. Okay, yeah, I know you're talking about. Um, What was she like when she first started drawing? Like, was she a strong artist from the start or did you watch her progress? Like, what was that like? Parker had great style. She didn't have as much natural talent as you would see in some other kids, but she had a great eye and great color usage and great ideas. And then over the years, she was able to really bring her skill level up. Um, and she's an excellent little graphic artist. And And it was so funny, like contacting her saying, hey, I think I need to change my logo up. I'd like to revamp it. And you know, she would send me these rough drafts. I mean, she was very professional, and I was just very proud. I mean, I was emotional through the whole thing. It yeah, was probably I mean, just another job for her. No, but it's somewhat of a story. Like, so when you say another job, like you weren't like the first person who's hired her. Oh no, no, she works for a, a firm in New Orleans. Wow, yeah, she she did very well for herself. Well, I love that story. I'm glad <laughs> I asked. Tell us what's going on in the uh, teachers' lounge. Oh. This is kind of a downer here in Mississippi. Um, the Jackson Public School District is going to lose like 236 teachers oh, who wow. they're saying based on a licensing kind of debacle. Um, 
So basically, it's these teachers are alternative route teachers, you know, so they didn't major in elementary education or education, but they maybe they had a degree in English or a degree in sports science. Um, mm-hmm. And so they are able to teach if they do the alternative route. Um, some of these situations are emergency certified teachers where they were short of teachers and they needed to you know, hire somebody and they said, okay, we can go ahead and give you this certificate, but you've got to go ahead and finish these accreditation things. And sometimes it's taking three courses or it's passing the praxis test, things like that. Um, and the, the issue is that, and it's kind of interesting because even when I read about it, I was like, wait a minute. I thought they did have three years. Um, I, right. I felt like they had three years so, to yeah, get these have- things, these these separate certification things done and Mm -hmm. checked off. But supposedly the Mississippi Department of Education is saying, nope, it's always been one year. And maybe MDE has maybe not enforced it as drastically as they are now, which, you know, part of me is like, well, why are you doing that now? when we're so short? Yeah, well, and we're so short on teachers. So like what? You've got teachers in the classroom that you're now kicking out. But anyway, um, so, so basically, it was an urban legend. Like I guess, you know, I mean, they're like saying it, they're saying there is no confusion, guys. It's always we hadn't changed the wording, but basically, even we've even got like administrators and people at high levels in districts that are saying we thought they had three years, and so by the time these people found out this has to be done by June or July, there's no time to get it done. Um, and it could be something as simple as passing the praxis or taking a course um, at a, a local university that offers it or an online version, but they've missed that window. And so now they won't be able to teach. And some of those teachers in the Jackson Public School have signed on as a substitute, like a long-term, I think it's like 105 of these 236. But I, mean, said, I guess that doesn't pay as well, right? Oh my gosh, it's a terrible. I mean, they were they're going from about making $203 a day to $85 a day before taxes and that and then insurance and retirement can be taken out of that but i mean that's they say a 58% pay cut so wow um but they're committed to doing it um because they wanted to become a licensed teacher they certainly thought they had 3 years and to find out they only had one they're not able to advance in the program so it's kind of crazy Do, was there like a quote from the Mississippi Department of Education, like you said, like you raise a good question, like why suddenly putting teeth into this and now, like, was there any reaction to that that you saw? Uh, yeah, it says the Mississippi Department of Education officials say that the rules for the license have never changed and that the problems are arising now because of the misunderstanding with local school leaders. So they're saying there is no confusion here. Right. Um, it's, it, this is a consistent policy. The confusion was from the the local settings saying, we're going to give you this job. We're going to hire you. You've got three years to do this. Yeah. And I mean, you would think that if this was across the board an issue, you would hear about it. There are other big districts in the state of Mississippi. You would hear the same thing happening at, say, Hancock County or DeSoto County or Lamar County or whatever. And we're not. So it does sound like it's a little bit isolated. Um, Yeah. So so what's the district? I mean, what do you do when you, you basically lose... Oh, like I you know. said, like a hundred and something may become subs, but the other hundred plus I know. are out. Like, how do you fill those holes? I don't know. And the and the Jackson Public School District they struggle for teachers anyway. Um, they really they I, really struggle. I think they had a re- leadership change 
fairly recently. Yes, and they said that yeah. they were reaching out to like the Kellogg um, teacher grant program and different things to try to um, pull in more teachers to these critical need areas um, to try to, in, you know, give them an incentive to come there and fill those holes. But I know that some of the other teachers that didn't stay on as a long-term sub are, you know, still going to try to work on, but on becoming a teacher, but they have to start the whole licensure program process over again. Well, kind of in the same department about being a teacher in, in different cities or different uh, counties. Um, we've got a new list and I don't think we've done this for about two years, but we have a new list of the most affordable cities for teachers as well as the least affordable. Um, I'm going to start with the least because they're not surprising to me. The, the most I think are like, okay, I didn't even know about that place. And this might be intriguing to somebody who's willing to pick up and move and wants to live in an affordable place and be a teacher. But Mm -hmm. first we'll start with the bad ones. Um, of the top five, four of them are from which state? And this is the worst. Yeah, of the, the five worst places to be a teacher in terms of salary. And, and what they did before, I'll give and you a little more. cost of living, right? Yeah, basically, they just took like it, how much income it takes to to pay rent. Mm-hmm. And that's, okay, California. Right. It is. In the num- San Fran, Los Angeles area. Yeah, so, <laughs> so and I don't know the state that well to, 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 I know San Jose is up around San Fran, and you've got San Francisco. So San Jose is number two. San Francisco is number three. Santa Rosa, I don't oh, know exactly where so that is. nice. Yeah, there. and, well, that's, that's, uh, that's number five. And Santa Cruz is number one. Okay. Um, so it, to give you some perspective, uh, Santa Cruz, California, it takes 66% of your income to pay rent. In the Now, isn't that where they're trying to start the teacher housing program? Right, all over. I think they right. are. And which but, is, I mean, this just proves the point that they need to do it. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, San Jose, 64% of your income. San Francisco, 62%. Um, so it looks like San Francisco, they have $77,000 for a salary. Santa Cruz, they have $62,000. Um, but just kind of gives you some perspective. Now, one area is not in California. It's number four. If you're keeping up, I know I've been all over the place, but but where is it? It's more obvious than you think, but you may not think of it. Hmm. Now, this is a city? Um. Yeah, it's a city, but I, I will even take a state. I mean, I would think New York. Mm, no, it's not a bad <laughs> guess. Where are things overpriced that you or I have probably never been? Oh, my gosh. I don't, I don't know. Hawaii. Hawaii. I was going to say yep, Hawaii. Hawaii. I want to yep. go to Hawaii, but yeah, right. I can't afford to fly there. Exactly. And everything's real expensive. <laughs> the cost of living's through the roof. So yeah, in Honolulu, apparently it's $60,000 on the salary, 53% of your income towards housing. But what a lifestyle. You know, okay. So um, when I worked with Raycom Media, uh, the news company, we would have conferences and we had um, some stations in Hawaii. In fact, they were like the dominant stations over there. So I'd every now and then get to... to you know, talk to folks who work at the stations there and they're like, everything is so expensive. They always talk about the groceries. The groceries yeah. are like through the roof. Um, and yeah, they all got paid better, but none of them talked right. about having like massive all houses relative, or anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, it was apparently pretty tight. So quickly though, I want to get to the five most affordable cities. Cause this is like a list that if I'm graduating college, I would consider moving to one of these Absolutely. places. Right. So, uh, number five, Springfield, Missouri. It says uh, 20% of your income towards housing. Number four, Las Cruces, New Mexico, 19%. 
of your salary. And they say they're paying $73,000 right now wow. um, over in New Mexico. Um, you've got Rockford, Illinois, 19% towards housing. That's They're paying 79%. Or I'm sorry, and they're paying 79000 It says more than two hours from the Windy City in far northern Illinois, mid-career teachers in the Rockford earn almost 79000 So everything we're talking about is mid-career gross pay. Okay. Um, you've got Springfield, Ohio, um, 63,000 on the salary, 17% towards housing. And number one is Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, income is 56,000 and only 16% would have to go towards your rent. And that is 90 minutes from Pittsburgh. It offers healthy salaries in a local school district set against very low local housing prices. It's largely because the city is in distress. It's a former steelworker town. Mid-career teachers earn about 56000 in gross pay. It would need to spend just 16% of that salary to afford median rent in the area. Hmm. So there you have it. There's your list. And I will link to that in the uh, show notes. Would you move to any of those cities? No. <laughs> My children are well-rooted around here, but I would yeah. have considered it. Right, yeah. Right out of college, sure. All right, are you ready for the Bright Idea? Yeah. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is an educator, blogger, and speaker from Toronto. Matthew Morris uses his website, MatthewRMorris.com, to speak about race, culture, and education, and he also has a big following on Medium.com. Matthew, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. I guess I did decent the first time. You did great. You did great. But you were kind enough to come back and talk about a more, I guess I would say, delicate and important topic today. And it's related to an article you wrote back in January titled 10 Ways to Make Your Classroom More Inclusive of Black Students. And before we dive into what those ways are, tell me why you felt it was important to write this. Um, I felt it was important because um, I'm a black male and an educator, and um, part of my journey at the very beginning of when I decided to get into education, I did a lot of reflecting, um, and when I was going through um, my experiences as a child and thinking about some of my friends, even some of my family, my own brother, um, it was it was kind of saddening for me to see some of the outcomes now as a grown man that some of these people who I grew up with, you know, geniuses in their own right, intellectual people, um, just kind of got the short end of the deal. And, and I feel that education was one of the biggest um, impediments to their, you know, lack of quote unquote traditional success. What was missing for, for them just as a, an outside observer? I think it was a combination of many things. It has to do with the setup, the the style in which um, teachers taught in the late 90s and that's still, I guess it's prevalent today. Um, the uh, stereotypical assumptions based on, you know, what black males um, may wear to class or the way they may answer a question or, you know, just the very the superficial things that occur when people interact. Um, those are big time blockers when um, a teacher's, you know, charged with, um, you know, giving um, a, the student um, the opportunity to reach their fullest potential. Before you wrote this article and kind of put yourself out there with it, did you have other teachers, educators, colleagues come up to you and, and ask for your advice? Yeah, absolutely. Both in positive ways and, and also stereotypical ways that, that were negative and kind of the quote unquote microaggressions that I felt too. So part of the reason why I wrote this is not only from my experience as a student and my, but also my experience as a teacher too, as a black male um, teacher and teachers asking me 
you know, I remember one teacher came up to me um, in my first or second year of teaching and she had a little second grade boy in her class that had long hair, a uh, black boy. And she asked me, Oh, how do I, how do I tie up his hair? And I'm like, take the, you know, the, the hair tie off your wrist and tie his hair. How you tie everyone else's hair with long hair. Um, and also, you know, positive, positive aspects of people asking how to best um, try to reach um, black, black males, especially, but black students in general too. Um, yeah, definitely within my building and outside my building on, on Twitter or in social media as well. I mean, I guess and I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you're not comfortable answering this, but do you even see like in the school that you're in now that some classes are, are very much lacking in this department? Yeah, it's, I, of course I do. You know, it's, it's tough, right? It's, um, it's to be, it's urban black males, hip hop culture. It's a, it's a different culture and a different world. And we have to acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. So it's like me going to a foreign country and trying to teach knowing the way I, I teach right now, it may not work. It may work. It may not. And the question then is going to be, do I sit there as a teacher and say, Oh, it's not working because of them or it's not working because of me. And I think that it takes a balance and, uh, you know, it takes a kind of, negotiation on both sides to to get the best out of you know education and classroom time what's the feedback been like from uh, you know i know you put it out there on your blog and on medium have has anybody been like thank you so much or what have you heard from people yeah definitely so the the origins of that blog actually came i was asked to uh write for a magazine in canada here called education canada Mm -hmm. and um it was actually a a part of a longer piece that was called um, teaching while black. So it was basically a piece on my experiences as a black male educator in the working in the inner cities. And that part was kind of like the ending of like 10 ways to make your classroom more inclusive for black students. And um, the feedback has been, been great. That's one of my, um, um, one of my pieces that I'm more proud of because I think that it's not only just, you know, my, my uh my thoughts thinking out loud that i tend to do on my blog but it's something that you could as a teacher practically implement in your classroom tomorrow so saying that let's uh let's go ahead and jump in if if you had to i know you you encourage everybody to do all these things but you also in there say you know it's just most important that you even try and so if somebody was going to try and they were going to take one of the 10 things Mm -hmm. which one would you suggest they start with I think the easiest one to start with is making your the literature, the text that you use inside your class reflective of the students that you teach. And if you teach in a school that is all, you know, white kids or all South Asian kids or all Asian kids, I think my A 1A to that would be to uh, give your students the opportunity to understand that the world is multi-ethnic and it's important for us if we're going to get anywhere with education and and society i know that's a little bit grand but it's important for us to understand that you know we 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 are not all the same we do come from different cultures and different backgrounds and it's, it's important for us to acknowledge those cultures and backgrounds and validate them so i think for a teacher walking in if they wanted to implement something easy it's you know get on google um, search up some resources that are reflective of the uh, non-traditional figures that appear in our classrooms. What's it like? And I know I'm kind of getting personal, but what's it like if you're a student and you're in a class and you need to select a book 
and mm-hmm. you don't seem to relate with any of those books. What's that like? It's tough, but as a kid, I don't think it, and you know, I'm far removed from my high school experience. And I think the the one thing I would say to that is that it's, it's more subconscious than it actually is on the surface, right? You don't really realize um, in the moment you, it's almost like an internalized feeling that you're um, you're less than right. That your experience isn't valid in a traditional form. Right. And it goes beyond just the text. It's the people within the school who are the, who are the, you know, the administrators and who are the custodial um, services, mm-hmm. you know, who, who's in the office all the time, who are the people that the teacher acknowledges the most for positive things for the people that for better or for worse teacher acknowledges for negative things. And it's, it kind of gets cyclical at times, right? So by the time you're in high school, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, and you haven't seen, you haven't read a story that has anything to do with your life. Um, you know, it's, it's internally, you know, challenging to, to kind of have the wherewithal to, to continue to push through. And to be honest, to beside, you know, maybe your family or your personal goals to, to sometimes, you know, it sounds harsh, but even to sometimes see the value within education. Right. Well, and I know another easy thing you suggest is just simply by changing out, you know, signage posters, positive slogan posters in your classroom, right? Yeah. So in the corner of my classroom, I've had it for a couple of years now. Um, my classroom is the the corner. There's a, a poster wall. And at the top, it says, get lit. And in brackets, it has the rest of the word literature. So it's kind of my reading corner. Mm-hmm. I have a carpet there and some bean bags, And my students go there whenever there's um, independent time or we do deer time, drop everything and read. Or, um, you know, we're working on some math and a couple of kids just want to, instead of working at a desk, grab a clipboard and go sit on a beanbag. But above it is a bunch of posters with inspirational quotes from rappers and, and singers. So, like, there's a quote from Rihanna or J. Cole. I try to get relevant quotes um, from artists that the students are, you know, listening to. And um, every year kids come in, they're like, oh, like they don't, thinking back, I don't think students, there hasn't been more than a handful of students that has actually come up to me and stretched, you know, strike a conversation about it. But I've always observed students year after year, just going over there, taking in what's on the wall. And again, it gets back to, you know, it's worth trying something than, than, you know, just maintaining the status quo. Right. Well, and I know uh, on the medium post, number five on there, and I don't know if you have it in front of you or not, but it's, it's considered what's called a top highlight. And it's, it's let your students teach, create a structure where you moderate students in the creation. Yeah. So, so tell me about that. One of the challenges of teaching is that um, oftentimes we kind of develop the savior complex and we think that we know best how to educate um, 12 and 13 year olds and eight year olds and 16 year olds. um, And we're willing to, we're unwilling to give up the reins of the classroom. And um, one of the most powerful experiences that I had within the classroom is um, teaching a, a lesson. I think it was a math lesson and I thought I was explaining it, you know, well and it went over every kid in my class's head not even the quote-unquote smart kids who get a's all the time and um you know i still kind of it was it was kind of the elephant in the room they struggled through the next 30 minutes to kind of do some of the practice work and then i just sat at home that night and i'm like you know what they didn't get it the next day i went in and i'm like that that one was on me you know i guess i didn't do a a good job of teaching that and I spoke to two students 
um, later on in the day and I asked them if they would be willing to um, reteach that lesson. I'll give them a couple of days and I'll give them some extra points on the next quiz. And they came back, they taught it in a completely different way using their own um, examples and analogies and things like that. And from then, I just kind of have used student teaching as a as a practice within within my classroom. Uh, we're not going to go through all ten items, um, but I will link to them in the show notes. But what else on the list you you feel like is worth really you know pointing out? If I was to pick the most important thing on the list, the the one thing that I would kind of use as the general umbrella is is the piece on hip hop education. Um, Dr. Chris Emden out of Columbia University is I guess the founder of this uh, kind of hashtag movement on Twitter called Hip Hop Ed um, and Reality Pedagogy. And, and he talks about um, utilizing hip hop, not just the raps and the, uh, you know, the hooks and the lyrics to teach, you know, uh, metaphors and similes, but to actually in, engage and re-engage students. So I think you know, maybe perhaps starting with instead of using, you know, some dusty old poetry to teach um, your, your uh, literary devices, use maybe hip hop lyrics and extend beyond that. That that to me kind of bleeds into all the other points that I have on that list, such as, you know, foster a classroom environment in which students have a role in hip hop. Everybody has a role that's empowering. It's not just the the rapper, the MC, the DJ is important. The engineer these days are important. The manager is important. The hype man is important. Um, in the classroom, that can be reflected through allowing students to teach. In my classroom, I have um, a classroom, a digital um, archiver. So in my classroom, I have a, a camera and I have a student. It changes once a month that's designed um, they record um, any classroom lessons that are that are more major than the regular everyday less lessons, um, giving students different roles within the classroom. Also, I think part of the whole idea of hip hop education is to, um, and I'm very big on this, um, blurring the boundaries between the school and the home. When students from um, urban communities walk into a classroom and it's completely foreign to their home environment um that's a that's a big impediment to their learning so you know i bring in the posters of rap artists with inspirational quotes um i have a couple street signs couple um inside my classroom instead of i just put a couple street signs up from the areas in which are from i just make it on the on a poster that's cool um yeah things like that so i think hip-hop education infusing um kind of the hip hop culture within the class is, is definitely probably the most powerful way to um, engage students in their learning. What would you say to the white educator who probably should be doing this, knows they should be doing this, but, but they're concerned that they're not going to be authentic and like, you know what? I can't hang that stuff in my wall. No one's going to believe that, that I mean it. What would you say to that person? Uh, Co-create with your students. If you're truly interested in their identity and their culture, um, ask them questions. Start with that. They're, if the white educator who is, um, you know, kind of um, nervous about diving off the deep end into this, start with a conversation with kids about the shoes that they wear. How come they, you know, are, wear those shoes, you know? And, and maybe if you like a pair of shoes that you see a student wearing, go out and buy them and come back and say, I, I didn't buy these to be, you know, cool. I bought them because I actually liked them I, I like them. They look, you know, they look, they look cool. 
um, start there. Ask them about the music they listen to. Ask them to put you on the music they listen to. Listen to it. You don't have to like it. There's, I don't like the music that my kids listen to, but I know what they listen to because I talk to them and I ask them and I ask them to play me it. And then we have a conversation over why I don't like their music and why I like my music. It doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that the music I like and the music that they like is still hip hop. Right. Um, because they, they, even the music I listen to they they probably think it is, it isn't even hip hop, you know, but I'm, and that's, you said a key thing, being authentic and being yourself. One of my, my most influential teachers, and I mentioned this before was an eighth grade teacher. And I, I went to school in the inner city and my eighth grade teacher was, uh, uh, old white guy. He was about 61 or 62 years old at the time with a long gray beard and long hair and he was all into native american culture and he was he was irish right and um he just he connected with us because he cared about our culture he cared enough to have community have conversations with us that sometimes veered off what we were doing in math that day well, uh, Matthew Morris, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. It's it's a delicate topic, but it's such an important topic. And I love what you're doing with you, with your blog and you're putting your post on Medium and, and you're putting yourself out there to really to share this knowledge, because I think it's something that, you know, a, a lot of educators may be interested in, but maybe not be comfortable, you know, going up to somebody and asking, how do I do this? So uh, you're really doing great work. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, you having me on. Um, if somebody uh, wants to to keep up with you, I, I think I've already mentioned that they can go to uh, MatthewMorris.com, but um, yeah. you like to find people on Twitter as well? Yeah, it's actually MatthewRMorris.com. I, there's so many Matthew Morrises out there. I try to differentiate myself with my oh, middle initial. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes. And uh, my Twitter handle is call me Mr. Morris. So call, call me, abbreviated Mr. Mr. Morris with two R's. Call me Mr. Morris. All right, Matthew. Thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortega. Go, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.